In case you were counting, we're 64 days from Easter, and we are on a mission. We're on a countdown till Easter Sunday, getting our campuses ready, our lives ready, our church ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's our ambition over the weeks and months to come that we each one would lead someone who is close to us closer to Jesus Christ. And we are seeking to do that through every avenue of our lives because we want people to join us in celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some point between now and Easter, certainly on Easter Sunday. And so we're giving ourselves to leading someone who is close to us closer to Jesus. I hope you've done that. I hope you've been thinking about how to do that. I hope you're praying and maybe even fasting in that regard and that you're making it a point of the way you order your days each and every day between now and the end of our first third of 2020. Can you believe we're in February? I mean, it's just flying by and uh, we have this opportunity before us every day to help somebody else know and follow God. And we want to make the most of those opportunities together. One of the things we're doing as a church family to encourage us to be this ready bride of Jesus Christ is we're studying through the book of Colossians. And if you remember, as we introduced Colossians last week, we talked about the church at Colossae being a brand new church. They're new Christians and a new church in a place they'd never seen a church before. They're the first church in Colossae. They, no one had ever done this before. Nobody in their family had ever followed Christ before. Nobody around them in their city had been a part of a church that was following Christ that they could ask about. There was no older generation that had done this for years and years. Everybody was new at this and they were trying to figure out what does it mean to be a church? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? This was brand new for everybody and everybody was trying to find their way personally and collectively as a church in an area that had never seen anything like it. At best, everybody around them was skeptical and confused about what they were doing. At worst, they were persecuting. These are new believers in a brand new church without an apostle there every week to help them know what to do. I mean, they're asking questions regularly about what are we supposed to do next? What is the best thing for us to do as followers of Christ in this situation? What is the next thing we're supposed to do as a church? What would be the best thing we could do in our city to help others see Christ? They're asking what's next, what's best questions, likely all the time. Can you relate to that? Wanting to know what's next, what's best as a follower of Jesus Christ. We all have those kinds of questions working itself out in our minds. What should I do next? What job should I take? What neighborhood should we live in? What house should we buy? Maybe you can think about those moments where you or somebody else that you've observed in your life is deciding who should I date? Who should I marry? What should I do with this opportunity that seems to be before me? Should I invest in this opportunity? Should I spend time doing this? Should I go to this life group or this small group? Should I get involved in this ministry? Who should I lead closer to Jesus? Who is my someone? What should I do with these opportunities in front of me? What's next 
what's best. We all have those kinds of questions. And I have great news. God has answers for those questions. And I'm excited that this passage today will point us in that direction. So we're going to read out of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. So I'd encourage you to open your Bible and follow along with me. If you didn't have a Bible to bring today or you brought your device and you'd like to look at some paper for some reason, then you can pick up the Christian Standard Bible there in your pew back. You can find Colossians on page 1043. And uh, I'll be reading along from the Greek New Testament. You follow along with that version you brought today. Let's start reading in verse 9. For this reason, on account of this also, we, from the first day we heard, have not ceased praying for you. Now, I want to pause right there and just remind you of all of the family words that we looked at last Sunday in Colossians. This is just a continuance of this. Can, can you get the feel of what it would be like to have somebody come up to you and say, Ever since I heard about this in your life, I've been praying every day for you. Those are powerful words. Those are meaningful words. So we start again with this idea of family words. I'm praying for you. Paul and Timothy. Timothy is that younger minister for the gospel that Paul has taken under his wing. To pour into him so that he might follow the Lord. And Paul and Timothy together are writing this out of an overflow of their familial concern for the family of God at Colossae. They're saying, we're praying for you every single day. And then we get to see the content of the prayer. Paul is going to tell us what he and Timothy are praying every day for the church at Colossae. Now, I've got to imagine that if Paul decided to communicate under the leadership of the Lord this single prayer that he was praying for the church at Colossae, I would bet this is an important prayer. I suspect that Paul and Timothy were praying a host of things, but this is the one thing that Paul is going to tell them he's praying. It's the one thing he's asking from the Lord for them. Now Paul and Timothy are not asking the Lord something from the Lord for the church at Colossae, wondering whether or not God is able to answer the prayer. They're, they're not saying, God, can you do this? No, Paul knows that God is able to do what he's asking, and so he's highlighting the one prayer he wants the church to know he's praying because he wants them to attach to the ability of God to answer this prayer. Now, Paul and Timothy are not saying, God, will you do this? As if they don't know God's desire for the church of Colossae. No, they know God's desire for the church of Colossae. They know his will for that church. And they're praying what they know to be God's will so that the church of Colossae would see what God is able to do and what he's willing to do so that they most assuredly know that what's being requested of the Lord, he's delivering to them. He is telling them what God's will is for them as a church. 
Paul is unveiling the prayer they're praying because they're praying what they know to be God's will so that they know that God will deliver on this request. It is a certainty. And he wants the church to know what to expect from the Lord. And so they tell the church what they're praying, what God's will is. Listen to what they pray. We are asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul and Timothy are asking that the Lord would fill the church at Colossae with the knowledge of God's will. God's will is to fill the church with the knowledge of of his will. And Paul's praying that. God, I want your will to be done, and I know your will is to fill them with the knowledge of your will. And all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is the plan of God for his church, and because God has superintended this prayer be written in the Bible, We can know this is God's will for us. It is God's will for his people to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And Paul wants the church to know this. God wants us to know this. The reason why Paul and Timothy are asking this from the Lord, that every day he would fill his people with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, is very, very important. And so he includes the reason he's praying this. He says, continuing on, verse 10, so that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Pleasing him in everything. The reason that Paul is asking that God fill his people with the knowledge of his will so that his people will live a life fully pleasing to him. It is God's will to fill his people with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that his people can live a life fully pleasing to him. God wants you and me to live lives that are fully pleasing to him. And just so that we understand exactly what it is that God wants, Paul and Timothy are going to share with us what a fully pleasing life looks like. He lists out four things that are contained in this prayer that helps us know what a fully pleasing life is. Look at verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. A life fully pleasing to the Lord is a life that bears fruit in what you do. 
so that in what you do, you do what matters most. You know what matters most? Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know what matters most? Helping other people see Jesus Christ. And a life fully pleasing to God is a life that bears that kind of fruit in all that you do. A life fully pleasing to the Lord is a life that God enables through what we do to help others see Christ. Look what he says next. Growing in the knowledge of God. A life fully pleasing to the Lord is a life that grows in the knowledge of of the Lord. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I count everything else in my life as valueless compared to the great opportunity to know Jesus Christ. Everything in my life is like rubbish compared to the opportunity to know Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ is everything. Paul is basically telling us, reminding us, that the greatest value in all the earth is the knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And a life fully pleasing to God is growing in the most valuable thing on the face of the earth, the knowledge of God. God enables you to know Him by revealing Himself to you so that you might live a life fully pleasing to the Lord, which is simply knowing Him more. Look at the third reason, the third characteristic. Verse 11, being strengthened in all power according to his glorious might to persevere and be patient in everything. A life fully pleasing to the Lord is a life that discovers the strength of God to endure every difficult, to be patient in the face of every opposition with the strength of God and never quit. A life fully pleasing to God is a life that won't give up because you've discovered God's strength that enables you to stay true to Christ no matter what. Look at the fourth characteristic. End of verse 11, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. A life fully pleasing to God is a life where God the Father has so brought you into the family that you have experienced the reality that you have received an inheritance. And you know that no matter what this life may feel like today, something better is coming tomorrow. God has shared with you gifts of eternity 
that only given to his family. He has taken from what belongs to him and he has given it to you so that you are overflowing with thanksgiving in whatever circumstances you're in today because you know in the Lord's family something better is on its way. Life fully pleasing to the Lord. God's will is for us to know and be filled with the knowledge of His will so that we would live a life worthy of the Lord, a life fully pleasing to the Lord, which is a life that is about what really matters. It's a life about knowing what is most valuable. It's a life of not ever giving up because of the strength of God at work in me. And it's a life that clings with thanksgiving to the Lord because I know that no matter what I face today, He's going to bring a better tomorrow. That's what he wants for you and me. And when we hear this opportunity that God wants us to live a life fully pleasing to him, we kind of resonate that with that, don't we? It sounds good. I mean, I want to live the life I was created to live. I want to live a life fully pleasing to the Lord. And I suspect if you're a follower of Christ and I ask you the question, do you want to live a life fully pleasing to the Lord? You're going to say, yes, I do. But do we? I mean, when we, when we ask the question, do I really want to live a life fully pleasing to the Lord, we're faced with a dilemma. We, we want to know, well, what does that really mean? What, what th- might that require of me? Where might I have to go? What might I have to do? What would God call me to do? Where would God call me to live? What would this mean for me if I said, yes, I want to live a life fully pleasing to you? Creates a dilemma. We've got to make a decision. Will we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that a life fully pleasing to Him is the life that's fully pleasing to me? You know what happens before we surrender to the belief that God wants me to live a life fully pleasing Him more than I could ever want it. And if I surrender to a life fully pleasing to Him, He's going to show me His will that leads to that. And if I follow Him, then I will experience a life fully pleasing to me. This was what I was made to do. To live a life fully pleasing to Him. You know what happens with the what's next questions, the what's best questions, if we've not surrendered to whatever He might want for us, wherever He might want us to be? If we do not surrender to the Lord's truth that a life fully pleasing to Him is the life that's fully pleasing to me, then all of our what's next questions and what's best questions 
will end up being the desire we have for a life that's fully pleasing to us without regard for what's fully pleasing to Him. If we want to experience the will of God in being filled up with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, it necessitates a surrender to a life fully pleasing to Him. Whatever that means, wherever that takes us, whatever that requires. If we make that decision to surrender, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything. I want to live the life you created me to live. If we make that decision, do you know what's going to happen? We're still going to have what's next questions and what's best questions. If I surrender to that, I'm going to be like, okay, Lord, well, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do then to live this life? What am I supposed to do that makes the best decision possible? Help me with what's next, Lord. Help me with what's best, Lord. And I want to encourage you that when those questions exist from the point of surrender to the life that's fully pleasing to the Lord, those questions are a great gift to you. Outside of surrender, those questions are dangerous because those questions can drive you to idolatry. But in surrender, those questions are a gift because they move you to a place of more surrender. I don't know what's next, Lord. I don't know what's best. All I know is I need to surrender to you because you say you care more about me living a life fully pleasing to you than I could ever care about living. And so I'm just going to surrender to you. And what that does is it places us at our starting point for being filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you know where your starting point is out of surrender? Jesus exemplified this in his own life. He had a chief concern for the will of the Father. In John chapter 4, he says, The will of the Father is more important to me than food. In John chapter 4, verse 34, he says, My food is to do the will of the Father. Chief concern about the will of the Father. He was always capable of doing what's next and what's best in the will of the Father because he was concerned about the will of God more than even his daily food. If you've not tried fasting yet, I'd encourage you to do one of those little 24-hour fasts. I've heard several stories from some of you about jumping into that opportunity and seeing what the Lord is doing in that. And when you do that and you think about John 4, 34, when Jesus says, my food is due to the will of the Father, you're going to have a whole new, whole new understanding of that verse. He hungered for the will of the Father. Because he knew that a life pleasing to the Father was life. In John chapter 5, he says, everything I do, I'm doing, verse 19, because I see the Father doing. Jesus got this, and he lived this incredible example. And his foundation for being able to know and follow the will of the Father is unveiled in his conversation with Satan. 
Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. The scripture says he was incredibly hungry. I think it's a vast understatement. He's famished. And Satan shows up and says to him, Hey, son of God, why don't you turn some stones that are all around us into bread and, and go ahead and eat. You're so hungry. And Jesus responds to Satan by saying, why would I turn stones into bread when man can't live by bread alone, but must instead live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God? You know how Jesus was doing the will of the Father? Jesus was starting with the will of God that God has revealed. The Word of God. If, if you want to fill up your car with gas, you're likely going to go to a gas station. Now, I, I like to frequent this gas station over on Williams Drive. It's relatively new, and I like to go there. And one of the reasons I like to go there is because when they opened, they had a 49-cent soft-serve ice cream. Yeah, this is good stuff. Well, I might need to fill my car up because it's low on gas. But if I go to that gas station and I say, you know what, instead of filling up today, I'm just going to go fill up on some soft serve. And I go in and I get soft serve because that's what I want. I get back in my truck and I start to drive it. I drive by the next day, man, I'm low on gas. I better stop and get some gas. I pull in there and I'm like, yeah. That's not really what I want today. What I want is some soft-serve ice cream. I just go in and get ice cream, and I get back in my truck, and I keep driving. Eventually, that's going to catch up with me, right? Because you can't keep driving without getting the right fuel. And our starting point for the answers to all of our what's next and what's best questions is placing the cup of our lives under the faucet of God's word so that he might fill us with the knowledge of his word. This is where it happens. God wants to every day fill you with the knowledge of his will in his word so that you might be moved to the point of a fresh surrender to who he is and what he says. Because unless you are in a daily place of surrender because you have seen the Lord, it won't matter what's next or what's best because you won't want what the Lord wants for you. You recognize our tendency is to not want what God wants. Our tendency is to push back against a life fully pleasing to God is the life that's fully pleasing to me. And God knows that the more significant need in our life is not the question to what's next or what's best that plagues our hearts and our minds, but the thing that we need most in our lives is who He is and what He says He's already revealed for, for us to know. And he just wants us to come to him and put the cup of our lives under the faucet of his word and trust that today he's going to fill my cup 
so that I know him and can live today a life fully pleasing to him based on what he has chosen to show me about himself. You know, the challenge is that oftentimes we come before the Lord and we're driven by what's next and what's best and we've not yet surrendered to him. And because of that, we bring our cup and we spend a little time with the Lord and, 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 he, and, and we feel like as we see him in his word, he pours a little bit of the knowledge of his will into our cup and it's just barely sloshing around in there. We're wondering, I want to know what to do next, Lord. Why are you not showing me? Lord, I want to know what I'm supposed to do that's best and I feel like you've not shown me. All I know is that you are holy. All I know is that you forgive me. All I know is that you want to use me to help others know you. But I've got a big question today, Lord. My cup isn't full. And what we do is we begin to look at the cup of the knowledge of God's will through the lens of a what's next or a what's best question. And we begin to say, where are you, Lord? And we drift from the truth that God cares more about you living a life fully pleasing to Him than you will ever care. He has promised to deliver the knowledge of His will that you need for today to live a life fully pleasing to the Lord today regardless of what you think you might need to know about something that's next or something that's best. He is faithful. He cares about you. He's not trying to rip you off. He's not trying to make this harder than it should be. He wants you to know His will for today so you can live a life fully pleasing to Him. So what we have to do is we've got to take those what's next and what's best questions. Instead of looking at the knowledge of God's will through the lens of those unanswered questions, we need to switch the lens. So we're looking at the what's next, what's best questions through the lens of God fills my cup with the knowledge of his will. Every day I seek him so I know how to live a life fully pleasing to him. So what I don't know about what's next and what I'm not certain about what's best does not mean my cup is not full. It means that God has not yet seen a reason to fill my cup to include that issue because he's chiefly concerned about how I obey what I know. Let's just say that you have a decision to make. Maybe it's at work. I've got a decision to make about what's next. I've got a decision to make about what's best. And you're bringing that to the Lord. Lord, I need to know what to do. I want to live a life fully pleasing you. Maybe it's a decision in your family. Maybe it's a decision in your own personal life, separated from, from workplace or whatever. You've got a decision to make. And you don't know what to do. There's one of three things going on. Number one. God is so kind that he is not showing you what's next or what's best because he does not want to bypass the gift of waiting on him. Sometimes what's next and what's best questions drive us to the starting place of his word and in the wait we find him 
and we discover that everything else looks different when we find him. Something beautiful in the wait. Don't miss that gift. Or maybe you don't know what's next or what's best because from your place of surrender, God is simply wanting you to go forward with a decision that he's given you the privilege to make because you have surrendered to him. And you get to look at this opportunity and say, what decision best reflects a life fully pleasing to the Lord? What will enable others to see Christ? What will enable me to know the Lord more? What will demonstrate the power of God at work in me? What will show that I'm a part of the family of God? If this is the fully pleasing life that God wills for me to live, and He's given me the knowledge of His will to live that life, what decision most looks like that life? Just make a decision. From the point of surrender, God wants you to follow him. That's why he says in Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. What God is not saying there is, whatever you want, God's going to do it for you. No, what God's saying is, when you're delighted in the Lord, when you surrender to him, when you believe he is as good as he says he is, then just delight yourself in him and do what your heart is informing you to do. If you long for life fully pleasing to God because you know that's the life fully pleasing to you and you surrender to the Lord and you need to make a decision about what's next or what's best, make the decision. You can trust the Lord. He cares more about his will in your life than you can imagine. I mean, Paul exemplified this. He went through all of the territories where he was trying to go, where there was no church, to tell people about Christ. He went from this city, told them about Christ, then went to the next city, told them about Christ. He's just going because he knows this is a life fully pleasing to the Lord. I'm just going to go to this city, and then I'm going to go to the next city. And guess what? He was on his way to a city in Acts chapter 16. On his way to a city, and the Holy Spirit said, you're not to go there. Okay. I'm going to go over here then. And he went over there and he just kept on going. Here's the thing. You can, from a point of surrender, make decisions that are a delight in the will of God that you know. And then you can just trust that, the God, that God's Spirit can interrupt you, stop you, redirect you at any point because God wants you to be aligned with His will more than you ever will want to. He cares he doesn't want to rip you off. He doesn't want to make this harder than it should be. He doesn't want to make this impossible. He wants you to experience a life fully pleasing to Him. Right, the third thing that can be going on when you don't know what to do, it could be that you don't know what to do because in God's kindness, He's not willing to give you what you want when you are disobedient to what you know. How unkind would it be of the Lord to show you what's next or what's best when you have an area in your life of what you know that you are disregarding, neglecting, or disobeying? Why would you ever want to align your life with the Lord if the Lord gave you whatever you wanted when you wanted it? There's rarely a parent that I meet that says to me, 
I'm going to give my kid anything they want, whenever they want it, even to their own demise. No, parents will withhold good things from their children because they know that their child would not be benefited by that good thing. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus says, If you being evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more does God know to how to give good gifts to his children when they ask him? When you ask the Lord about what's next or what's best and you get no clarity, it just might be that God wants to bring you back to a point of obedience that you have failed to pay attention to. Because God knows if you're not obeying something he's already shown you, you're in no place to accept a life fully pleasing to him. You'll push back against it. You won't want to do what he wants you to do. He wants to bring you back to that point of your last decision to obey. Maybe you're not spending time in his word. Why would he grant you the knowledge of what's next when you don't care about what he's already said? He wants you to care about what he has said and to obey him so that you're at a best place to do what's next, a life fully pleasing to him. If you obey what you know, you will know what to obey when you need to know it. Because God cares. And what he wants is a people who are ready to obey. If you look through all the stories of scripture about God's people and his will, you know what you're going to see mostly? You're going to see mostly stories about God's people who know God's will. You're not going to see story after story about God's people scratching their heads about what's next or what's best. No, you're going to see story after story about a people to whom God has revealed his will and now they must decide whether or not they will obey. If you have a what's next question or what's best question in your heart right now, then go back to the last time God called you to obey him and stay in a place of obedience. And he will take care of you. Because he cares more than you do. It's simple. But we all know it's not easy. And that's why we have each other. The church is designed to help us find God and follow him. We need each other. And so we're gathering together as a church to try to follow the Lord together. And the reason that we're doing that as a church family is because we can imagine, we can see in our mind's eye a church family was being filled every day with the knowledge of God's will, living lives fully pleasing to him. A ready bride reaching the world.